Are you ready for the quantum age? Humanity's next step in evolution? Dream Vision 7 Radio Network invites you to the extraordinary platform of evolutionary voices for the quantum age. Let's explore. Learn more about this upcoming age where we bridge science with spirituality. Where potentiality meets reality. Where we take compassion into action. Our trailblazers and visionaries will ask the whys, the what-ifs, while igniting continuous possibility. Come along with us into an age beyond what we know today, where we can grow together in unity consciousness. Experience evolutionary voices for the quantum age, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on DreamVision7Radio.com. Welcome to What's in Your Way is the Way with your host, Mary O'Malley, inviting you to open to the radical notion that in your life, whatever you perceive to be in your way is the way. In other words, your challenges, whether they be relationships, compulsions, finances, or illness, come with gifts embedded in them that can bring healing and allow you to experience the joy of being fully alive. Mary is a counselor, awakening mentor, inspirational speaker, and the author of What's in the Way is the Way, the gift of our compulsions, belonging to life, and the magical forest of aliveness. What's in Your Way is the Way with Mary O'Malley is part of Evolutionary Voices for the Quantum Age. Heard Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Welcome. To what's in your way is the way. I am your host, Mary O'Malley, and today we're exploring relax. All is well. I just finished my sixth book called The Joy of Being Fully Alive, The Journey to the Mountain of Being. When I say that, it still astounds me. If you had told me all those years ago I would be writing even one book, let alone six, I would have laughed hysterically. And that they have made their way around the world and touched so many people's lives brings me to my knees in gratitude. At the same time this new book has been born, I have been recording my first book, Belonging to Life and it is now available on Audible from Amazon. This has caused me to do an overview of these nourishing writings that life has poured through me for the benefit of all beings. And so I want to take you on a journey through these books and into the deep wisdom they carry. I want to first revisit my childhood, which I've done here and there throughout the years on this show, but I wanted to do an overview of the absolutely fertile ground of pain I experienced as I was growing up, out of which all these books have shown up. For just like manure grows beautiful flowers, if you learn how to compost the pain that all human beings carry, then you can experience the pure creativity of life. So, in my childhood, my father, he was in competition with his brother for the first male child would get a very revered family name. My father had already had one child, my older sister, and his brother's wife was pregnant with their first child the same time my mother was pregnant with me. 
And when I was born, my parents had a knockdown, drag out fight at the hospital because my father blamed my mother that I was not a boy. So he never spoke to me. He didn't have anything to do with me until they divorced and we started visiting him on weekends when I was 12 years old. And that's when the sexual abuse started. Then my mother, oh my, my mother, my grandmother made marble look warm. And so my mother didn't know how to mother. And so she rarely held me when she fed me. She bottle propped me, that horrible creation that hangs a bottle above a baby. And so I started sucking my thumb and that wasn't okay. So they painted it with bad tasting stuff and Then I started sucking my fingers, and they painted them with the bad-tasting stuff. And that need for connection, that need for nurturance was so strong, and it was so unavailable in my family life that I began to suck through the bad-tasting stuff. And then they splinted my fingers with popsicle sticks, and tied them down at night. And whenever I revisit that, now my heart just opens so deeply to that little girl that felt so alone, so rejected, and feeling helpless, hopeless despair. But life wanted me to serve life by taking on the depth of pain a human being can take on and then learn how to transform it into joy and love. So my older sister, I lived in the same bedroom with her for most of my growing up years, and she was a bully, a deep, deep bully. When I was 12, my mother asked her what she was doing with me, and she said she would best me at absolutely everything that I did. And she did. And in our bedroom, I was not allowed a voice at all. I could not uh, have any need whatsoever because she was the uh, the king of the bedroom. And so also my mother decided my father was trying to make her go insane and when they uh, separated and then divorced. And so she decided that he had hired somebody that to come into our house whenever we left and move something. And you just think about that. I mean, I lived in a house of horrors. I didn't know Kilroy, and that's the name my mother gave to this uh, so-called person. I didn't know that he was imaginary until my 20s. And so we lived in a house that was always invaded. And so I began to hold on more and more. I became a quiet shadow existing underneath the light of the beloved first child. I started having migraine headaches and shooting pains down my back. I eventually ended up in two mental hospitals between the age of 19 and 22, staying the better part of a year in the second one. And when that didn't help, I tried to kill myself three times. So the reason why I'm doing this overview is to 
know that you can take on the deepest pain that is possible for a human being to bear. And then eventually you can learn how to transform it. In other words, life showed me how to make lemonade out of really rotten lemons. So when I was 27, my first teacher came into my life. His name was Joel Kramer. He was one of the first people that was really bringing yoga to the U.S., and he would come up from California. And my mother had signed up for a weekend with him and then said she couldn't go, and would I like to go? And it was kind of like, oh, well, okay. But that workshop changed my life. It moved from a B-grade, black-and-white, grainy horror movie to a Dolby surround sound, technicolor, Panavision movie. But I couldn't tell you what he said. All I knew, I was hearing truth. So the third time he came up, the third or fourth time he came up, I recorded the whole weekend and then transcribed it. I want you to imagine, you know, you just get a sentence and then you rewind it and you write it down and then you play it again. And when my house and store burned to the ground when I was 28 or 20, no, that was when I was 30, uh, what I grieved was the loss of that book. We lost everything, but that book was my lifeline. So the next time he came up, I asked him, "What? Uh, this is what I'm hearing you say, and I want you to tell me if I'm on the right track. And he said, okay. And I said, in the seeing is the movement. What did he mean by that? I had lived in a world that saw me as broken and wrong and needed to be fixed. And my mother sent me to endless psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors. And what I heard from him is that that's just the endless game of struggle. That whatever is holding on inside of you that keeps you cut off from the joy of being fully alive, of relaxing into the flow of life and reconnecting with the truth that all is well, comes from seeing what is holding on inside of you not trying to fix it. It was a glorious revolution in my life. Very quickly, people asked me to teach. No way, I said. Oh my God, I'd have to do it and do it right. And up to that point in my life, I saw myself through the lens that I had never done and never would do anything right. It wasn't until 11 years later when I met Stephen Levine, who showed me the pathway back home to my heart, that I truly began to open up. But still, if people asked me to teach, I said no. That whole belief structure that I took on as a child, that there was something wrong with me, that everybody else was better than me, I was, it was loosening but it still had uh, some level of a grip on me. So life threw me in the ocean. (laughs) The the first time I taught, a a friend uh, was teaching a a three-part class at our 
community college. He said, just come and sit beside me and just share your wisdom. And well, we had a marvelous time. And then I went to pick him up for the second class and he said he was sick. And so I had to uh, go into that class and it was okay. And so I started teaching. And then one morning, our local church, the minister, I was teaching classes at this church, and she called me and said, I have laryngitis, and would you come and do the Sunday service? Now, I had never spoken in front of a group of people. I mean, I had taught small classes, but not a public speaker. And I said, yes. And then I got in the shower thinking, holy but Jesus, what did I just do? I let go. The task was so monumental, my poor little mind couldn't figure out how to do it, and instead I relaxed into life. And this wonderful talk came pouring through me. I spoke about what it was like to say yes, and then what my mind did afterwards, and then what it was like to be up there in front of them, just sharing my truth. None of this was I trained for. And yet, slowly, as I learned how to relax, open, and allow the wisdom at the heart of life to pour through me, in other words, to let go, I began to teach and give talks more and more, and eventually began leading retreats. While leading retreats, if a thought came that, oh my God, I'm in charge of these uh, couple of dozen people and I don't know what I'm doing, I would start to freeze. But then I remembered, life is smarter than me. And if I turn it all over, living in open-ended questions where I would ask a question without looking for an answer, amazing things began to happen at those retreats. But life wasn't done stretching me yet. I started creating summaries of my Monday night group. After a couple of months, somebody said, oh, this could be a book. And almost immediately, the writing dried up. My mind took over and saying, oh my God, I don't know what to say. What will people think? I'm not smart enough to do this. It was fine to write summaries for my Monday night heart family, but to imagine these writings going out into the world caused me to freeze. But as I deeply listened, I could feel this book wanted to be written. So I began to live in the question, life, what do you want to say here? As I began to feel my way into the book, it made sense to me to write it as a love letter to myself, to remind me about the pathways from doing to being, from contracting to connecting from resisting to responding, and from judgment to compassion. Whenever I felt called to write, I began by asking the question, what do you want to say here, life? Remember that moved me from me being a separate human being that was writing something to me listening and allowing what wants to be written to flow through me. So it allowed me to recognize that I was not the one doing the writing. I was just a scribe. 
So I would sit down and ride and ride and ride, allowing the flow of wisdom to move through me without critiquing it at all. Oh, there was just such joy because the mind wouldn't take over. I was just listening to the wisdom of my heart. Then, a day or so later, I would read what had shown up, and it would be like reading music. Da, 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 da. And then all of a sudden, you know, I would come to a sentence or maybe a paragraph that didn't fit. And even if I really like that part of the book, I let it go. And then, of course, I couldn't write, let it completely go. I put all these parts in a, uh, a, a file that I was going to go back, you know, later and, uh, see if there was another book there. And then my, the woman that ran my business at the time deleted that file. Oh my God. I felt such grief. <laughs> but. Now, fast forwarding to now, we decided last year to record Belonging to Life and put it on Audible. This is the first time I had spent a lot of time with it since I wrote it in the 90s. And rereading it again, I was filled with amazement at its clarity and grateful for the joy it woke up in me. I rediscovered its deep wisdom and relearned things that I had literally forgotten. Many times in recording it, I teared up for the sheer wisdom and beauty embedded throughout. It also deepened my awe and wonder and the knowing that love is the force that animates all of life. I love its title, Belonging to Life. I hadn't belonged, not to myself, to my family, or to the world. I was an outsider. It's a very painful way to live, and yet most of us live with at least some of that sense of not belonging. In it, I explored how I learned to use my mind for the wonderful tool it is rather than always being lost in it. I share how my completely armored heart opened again and how the deep shame voices which told me I didn't even deserve to live were finally brought home to my heart and no longer had any power over me. One of my favorite chapters is called The Fertility of the Dark. In it, I showed that as you learn how to respond to pain rather than reacting to it, your difficulties in your life, whether mental, physical, emotional, or spiritual, always come bearing gifts. I also explored the steps I took as I was being moved from struggling with life into a deep and abiding connection with the only moment that matters now. Woven throughout it is how I learned to trust this journey called life discovering rather than being a victim to it. Life is happening to me, that it was all happening for me. Ramdas are, uh, for many of us who were waking up in the 60s and the early 70s, and he's like our elder brother, and he wrote the uh, Remember Be Here Now. At one time, it was the best-selling book in the whole world. And he says, he's talking about when you begin to use your mind rather than being lost in it. And 
you begin to see the perfection of the law of life. You can see it in physics, in astronomy, in cell structure that is related to the way the planets work, in the lawful nature of music and art, and you see that your own thinking mind is a part of that law. So, where you are right now in this moment, with all of your problems, with all of your if-onlys, where you are in this moment is the absolute optimal place to be from a spiritual point of view for your optimal growth. Wow, I think I would say this journey took me from deep, deep mistrust of life into a deep abiding trust, which allows me over and over again to relax into this moment, even if it's dismal and difficult and full of despair. It's all for us. So in the mid-90s, I met Eckhart Tolle, and this was a time before his book, The Power of Now, had exploded out into the world. I went to interview him for our local paper and discovered a dear, dear friend. When I told him about belonging and how I had woven throughout it an invitation to work with two statements, what is and this too. He said he would like to endorse the book. Oh my God, what a thrill. It was like I found a godparent for that book and helped it go out into the world. And so I told him about a retreat I had done down at Cloud Mountain where all over the retreat center in, uh, by doorknobs and on mirrors in bathrooms and on trees on the walking path and, uh, on the plates during dinner. I put these two statements. What is? Rather than living in a mind that's always becoming, that statement invited people to just bring their attention fully to this moment. What is? Right now. And the invitation was to notice whatever you noticed, a sound, a pain in your body, a busy mind, a, a, a sad feeling in your gut. And then the statement, this too, was an invitation to not struggle with it. Our separate mind is addicted to struggling. And when you learn how to give space to even the most uncomfortable and difficult parts of your life, that is the doorway out of the world of endless struggle. So my next book, uh, which I was writing at that time that I met Eckhart, was called Healing and Being Healed by Our Compulsions. I love that title. <laughs> of course, when a publisher picked it up, they had to change it, and they changed it to The Gift of Our Compulsions. But it is about a new and revolutionary way of working with compulsions. The way I survived the pain of being invaded, unseen, unheard, rejected, seen as less than when I was growing up was to eat and eat and eat. 
trying to stuff deep inside the unbearable pain I experienced as a child. Sometimes I can feel the depth of rage I experienced in that crib as my hands were tied and my fingers were bound with popsicle sticks. My mother said that I would scream and then I would wail and then I would cry and then I would whimper and then I would finally fall asleep. And at times, and it took me a long time to be able to do this, that I could feel the rage that that child felt without being afraid of it. And I realized that that was one of the core fuels of my overeating. Uh, Of course, I didn't get that for quite a while in my life. And so as I was growing up, I went on every single diet I came across. And also my tall and willily older sister, who never seemed to gain an ounce, was so beautiful, she became a model for Nordstrom's. Oh my God, I can just feel that pain in my gut. I can remember a time when I was in our bedroom and trying to uh, zip up a pair of jeans that I had gained so much weight. And I could remember jumping up and down and desperately trying to get the buttons together so I could zip them up. And I can feel that despair. But even with that kind of pain, I couldn't stop eating. The need to numb myself was stronger than the shame of being unable to control myself and becoming bigger and bigger. When I went to college, I added alcohol to the mix, and then when I left college, I added drugs. I want you to feel how essential it was for me to numb myself. But now life was awakening me. And I want to read a the first page of Belonging to Life. Um, I wish I had uh, printed out the first page of The Gift of Our Compulsions, but this is the first page of Belonging to Life that really speaks about coming out of the world of constant struggle back into the joy of being fully connected to life, the joy of being fully alive. And it starts with a quote from Joseph Campbell. People say that what we're all seeking is a meaning for life. I don't think that's what we're really seeking. I think that what we're seeking is an experience of being alive, so that our life experiences on the purely physical plane will have resonances within our innermost being and reality so that we actually feel the rapture of being alive. Just let that in. Let that in, that that is your destiny to know again the rapture of being fully alive. Thank you, Joseph. So then the book begins. The drive had been both tiring and exhilarating. For the last 10 days, I had been at Brighton Bush Hot Springs with Stephen Levine, a skilled teacher of consciousness and author of many books on how to be truly awake for life. The workshop had opened my awareness in ways that had been blocked since childhood. He taught me how to lovingly watch the workings of my mind so that my attention could become free from struggle and engage with the living moment of life. 
After many long, confusing, and grief-filled years, for the first time since childhood, I was able to reconnect for moments during the retreat with the joy and nourishment of belonging to life. Back home again, standing in my kitchen, I was beginning to feel the anxiety of nothing to do. The retreat was over, the driving was done, and my children hadn't yet arrived home. Seeking to relieve this anxiety, I found myself going out into the backyard and lying down under the oak tree's protective arms. Suddenly, I let go. For the next few moments of my life, I wasn't trying to go anywhere, understand anything, or be anybody. I let go by allowing my life to be exactly as it was. Not needing anything to be any different, I was enough. Life was enough. In a flash, I was here, making contact with the only moment that matters now. I felt the earth holding me and the wind caressing my cheek. I could see the veins in the leaves and was deeply moved by the wonder of it all. I completely opened to life and received the love that radiated from everything. In this opening, I belonged to life. I belonged to my own life reconnecting with the rapture of being alive. I began to sob from the depths of my being. My tears came not only because I had been disconnected for so long, but also because I knew in the marrow of my bones that I had discovered the safest place I would ever know, the moment that life appears out of mystery. In that moment, I recognized that I was being breathed by love, and I was this love. Feeling the radiance that poured forth from every single leaf, rock, blade of grass as an expression of the intelligence at the heart of life, a thread of trust was rewoven. I knew that my understanding of where to find safety, connection, and joy beyond anything I had ever known was radically altered. It wasn't out there in somebody else's understanding of me or in some idea I hadn't yet figured out or in some healing that hadn't yet happened. It was here. It had been here all along, and it would always be here. After a few moments, the vibrancy began to fade and grief began to take over as the many filters in my mind that separated me from the incandescence of the moment began to reassert themselves. Then I remembered that grief was just another filter, and I was able to let it go. And again, I was fully present for life. When my children came back, bringing with them the myriad duties that come with being a single parent, the clarity, immediacy, safety, and joy I experienced under the oak tree faded. My attention was seduced back into the narrow realm of struggle that so often envelops us. But the essence of that gift has stayed with me, fueling my core intention to come back to life. I could now see that I would not find lasting healing in the realm of thought. My job was to learn how to clear a pathway through the stories in my mind so I could make contact with life right here, right now. I needed to relearn how to let go into the adventure while curiosity and compassion helped me to pay attention to what was unfolding in my life. But 
I wasn't yet done with overeating. I was deeply ashamed that I couldn't control this out-of-control, desperate hunger that I was stuffing with food, alcohol, and drugs, but I tried. One time I went a whole month only drinking water, and twice I went two weeks without food, feeling that I had finally controlled this gnawing hunger. But it was right after that I gained 97 pounds in a year, and that was from a hospital scale to a hospital scale. In my late 30s, I discovered a startling statistic that 97% of every pound loss in the U.S. came back plus some within a year and a half. It piqued my curiosity, and I thought that maybe, just maybe, there was another way to work with any and all compulsions. Now that I knew the pathway back to my heart, I began to working with my overeater in ways that were radically different than anything people were trying at that time. Rather than seeing myself as bad or wrong for trying to numb my pain through food, alcohol, and drugs, I saw that this was all a finely crafted survival system that I absolutely needed as a child in order to survive. The pain of my childhood was so great that if I hadn't stuffed all those feelings, I literally could have died. I also saw that our core compulsion is to struggle and all the other compulsions are an attempt to numb out from the heartbreak of having been so completely rejected and thus completely rejected myself. By that time, I had stopped alcohol and drugs, but the overeater was still here, so I began to listen to what was happening when I wanted to numb myself with food. And as I listened, just like you and I, when somebody listens to us, the urge to overeat calmed down, and I naturally let go of a lot of weight and stayed the same weight for decades. Out of all this came healing and being healed by our compulsions that was then named The Gift of Our Compulsions when it was published. It shows you how to use your compulsion as a guide through all the old beliefs you took on as a child and how to set them free so you can know the joy of being fully alive. Eckhart also agreed to endorse this book, and for that I was deeply grateful. My next book is called The Magical Forest of Aliveness. Oh my God, I love metaphors because uh, I think a picture is worth a thousand words. And what I was offering uh, in uh, my books and in my retreats and talks and groups is so radically different than what we had learned. You have to fix yourself and change yourself in order to be a whole person. And what I was saying is that you're already whole, and to know that wholeness, you need to bring all the different parts of yourself back to your heart. And sometimes this was hard for people to understand. So I wrote The Magical Force of Liveness as a parable, and it starts with a little girl that was born in the magical forest of aliveness, completely connected to life. And then it shows how she eventually got caught in the village called mine and all the heartaches that began to happen, how she began to feel separate and alone and wrong and how she began to use her compulsions to take care of herself. But 
through a lot of pain, she kept on getting thrown into the dungeon of darkness. And there was a tower in the uh, uh, magical, in the village called Mind, that nobody knew the doorway into it. But in the dungeon, she began to see light emanating from the walls. And she begins to see the outline of a door and she goes and pushes and it opens her into a spiral staircase that takes her up to this viewpoint uh, that where she could now finally again, for the first time since she was young, see the magical forest of aliveness. And then she goes through a lot of things. She's not ready yet to leave the village called Mind. But then eventually the uh, one of the gates are open and she goes back into the magical forest and has all the experiences that we most deeply long for, to be loved, to belong, to deeply trust her whole journey. And then eventually she goes back into... Uh, the magical for uh, or into the village called mine, um, bringing all the wisdom that she gathered in the magical forest. After this parable, what came next was what's in the way is the way. My most well-known book. I often tell people they don't even need to read the book and just live the title. It's a message that our challenges and our, our dark times are not evidence that we have done something wrong or they, the infamous, they have done something wrong or God has fallen asleep on a job. Our challenges are tailor-made to help us clear the clouds of the conditioning we took on when we were young so we can again know the joy of being fully connected to life, of relaxing into life and understanding that no matter how difficult it is, all is well. Because so many of the leading edge experts in my field endorsed this book, I was again brought to my knees in gratitude. And I still hear from people all over the world who tell me it changed their lives and from other people who are gathered with groups to read the book together. My next book, called Falling in Love with You, came after having worked with people for decades. I could see that one of the core things that kept us caught in the world of struggle, cut off from this being fully present for life, is that we don't know how to meet ourselves in our hearts. Instead, we're an ongoing construction site to ourselves always trying to fix or get rid of or rise above or rearrange the parts of ourselves, our experiences, in hopes that we would finally get it all together. And yet, that is the endless game of struggle. It's like being a, a, a person uh, sitting in paradise endlessly trying to unravel a ball of yarn, and you don't even notice paradise. You just focus on fixing and changing and rearranging yourself, your loved ones, and life. 
This book is different from my others because it is a series of quotes, oh, quotes that just make my heart soar, that take you from the alive innocence you knew when you were young to the conditioning you took on from your family that caused you to move from being a human being to a human doing. It then explores what it is like when your heart is open to the totality of you, to your strengths and your vulnerabilities your skillfulness and your unskillfulness, your kindness, your meanness, your clarity, and your confusion. These quotes also address the ridiculous notion that falling in love with ourselves is selfish, and yet it is one of the most powerful things you can give not only to yourselves, but to your loved ones and to the world. For when... You have become whole when you realize that you are a mixture of dark and light, when you see that you are perfectly imperfect. Then, how you interface in the world is completely different because you don't react to people that are showing their dark side. Instead, you open your heart. Many people say they keep this book by their bedside so they can open it randomly in the morning and allow whatever quote that comes to them to frame their day. I was sure that that was more than enough books. Five books? As I get older, I slow down a lot, and simply being calls to me more and more, and yet another book began talking to me. This felt daunting to me because uh, part of me wasn't ready to write again. And then I remembered, I'm not the one doing the writing. I just need to be an open-ended question. And this book literally poured through me. And it is a parable. It is the story of all of our journeys from unconsciousness to consciousness, from separation to communion from the me kind of mind that is only concerned with its own needs and can, you know, be like Putin taking over another country because he feels he deserves parts of Ukraine, to Kim Jong-un that that uh, uh, is ready to uh, um, send nuclear uh, missiles, you know, all over the world to the we kind of mind. And that's what all of this work is about, is coming to home to our heart and knowing that we're all in this together, that there's nobody that's better than anybody else. It doesn't matter your gender or your ethnicity or the color of your skin or your religion or even your political beliefs. We're all in this together, dancing through vast oceans of space on this tiny blue-green jewel of a planet, as many of the astronauts said as they uh, orbited the Earth. They didn't see any lines that differentiated different countries. So in this book, she uh, begins the journey into the Valley of Forgetting, and then she eventually comes to the fort called Mind, and she locks herself in there and thinks that's the destination of her journey because that is, there's a lot of people that live there. 
But there she learned how to quiet her mind and open her heart, and she knew that she was to continue on to her journey. And the first day that she was out continuing her journey, she was treed by a mother bear, but up in that tree she saw a glimpse of white. She saw the mountain of being that she was so uh, easy for her to see when she was a child. And she knew that her journey was to continue to the mountain of being. And she has all sorts of experience with wolf pups and hummingbirds and trees and, uh, uh, dewdrops and, and as she moves through the forests and then through the meadows. And then she gets up to the mountain of being and to see that vast view and to really begin to understand there is no them, there is no us. And yet she also sees all of the heartache that's happening on this planet and her heart contracts because she doesn't know if enough of us are going to wake up and come to the mountain of being before we destroy ourselves. But then she sees people making it out of the valleys of forgetting all around her mountain. And then she knows it's the mountain to the south and the mountain to the north. And then she knows it's happening all over the planet. And you are a part of this. And I think the reason why I love this book so much is because there's a friend of mine that that considers what's in the way is the way her Bible, you know, she's underlined practically every single word and she carries it with her. But she said, reading this book, she read a draft of the book, uh, she said, I finally got this journey at a deeper level because I was watching somebody else go through this journey of remembering and forgetting and opening and closing. So when I finished it, I called Tammy Simon, the, uh, used to be the head of Sounds True, and they had published What's in the Way. And I told her about the book and she said, well, she said, we usually don't, uh, publish storybooks because they don't sell. And then I talked to her about what was going on this planet happening, you know, all the heartache, the, the breakdown of an old way and a new way is being born. We're in an evolutionary shift. And I talked to her how it was so important for people to see a healing view of what's happening. And she said, well, I got a crazy idea. And I said, what? And she said, let's give it away for free. And I said, absolutely. And so she turned it over to her staff. And they uh, called me a few weeks later and said, they're not willing to do that. And then I knew, I mean, you know, there was some heartache, but I knew that this book had a life of its own. So I asked Tammy for uh, some editors and uh, she gave me a number of names and I found this amazing editor, Alice. And she said, when she read this book, she said, I have edited dozens and dozens of books over the years and I have never edited a book that I have to keep on reminding myself that I'm editing because I am so drawn into the story. And she believes so strongly about this book that she is becoming its midwife. She knows a lot of publishers and we've written a letter and, and we're starting to send them out to see if anybody is interested in uh, publishing this book. And so 
I, I wanted to do this overview. I think my books give a really good overview of the journey of being uh, separate from life, uh, having life happening to you, to life happening for you. And I asked myself, why did life take me from the depths of darkness to the joy of serving the awakening of humanity? And I think it's because I could be a spokesperson for the deep trust in the unfolding of life. If I could say I could trust life after everything that happened to me, then whatever I write and speak becomes an invitation to fully engage with life, to wake up every morning with the knowing that whatever life brings you that day is exactly what you need to wake up out of the dream of struggle and become fully alive. And of course, we'll forget, and then we'll remember, and we'll forget, you know, but it's so important to know that you are listening to this because you are a part of the healing of our planet. We are at a watershed time, you know, that this is the time where that old kind of mind that you can see in many politicians that they're just concerned about themselves into the we kind of mind where more and more of us care for the earth, for people we don't know, for the suffering of the planet. And this show has come into your life, not only for your own deep healing, but also for the world. We desperately need more and more people who are relearning how to live from their heart-mind rather than the, the dualistic mind, the good-bad-right-wrong mind that has caused so much heartache on our planet. As you learn how to quiet your mind and open your heart, no matter what is happening in your life, you will become a healing presence in the world. And one person at a time, one experience at a time, humanity will mature beyond struggling, comparing, judging, resisting into the truth that even with all of our diversity, there is only one of us here. And every single one of us deserve respect, safety, and love. So thank you all for listening. And I thank you all for using your life to heal our planet, especially for all the children that are coming after us, that they don't have to be as lost as we were in this journey through life. Namaste. Thank you for listening to this edition of What's in Your Way is the Way with your host, Mary O'Malley. You can access Mary's offerings on her websites, maryomalley.com and what's in the way is the way.com. Join Mary next time to experience the peace and joy that is always with you on Evolutionary Voices for the Quantum Age. Heard Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow.